I think most time people try to look at things in the compartment, and、uh, instead of take a step back and seeing that we live in this living system, and then when we are doing our farming, that we also need to look at our farms ecosystem, and then bring the life back in to reach the balance, and then to reach the point that it is it can be regenerative on its own, and at that point is sustainable. You cannot be sustainable. Unless it can be regenerative. Welcome to the 292nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian Devore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When dairy farmer Dale Pangrak first heard microbiologist Elaine Ingham speak about what she calls the soil food web, he got extremely excited about the message she conveyed: soil has the ability to generate its own fertility and resistance to pests. The message resonated with Pangrak so strongly that he didn't buy fertilizer for the next growing season. That was a disaster, he said during an LSP field day in late August. He and his wife Carmen were hosting the field day on their family's organic farm near Lewiston in southeastern Minnesota. What Pangrak has learned from Ingham and others is that in order for soil to become self-sufficient, a whole lot of damage has to be undone, biologically and structurally. Over a century of tillage alone has decimated soil's aggregate structure, and the post-World War II agrochemical revolution nuked its natural processes. Our soil has basically lost its biological functionality. Molecular biologist David Johnson told the more than 60 farmers, natural resource professionals, and others who gathered in the Pangrak family's machine shed. The good news is that the focus of the field day was how that biological functionality can be restored. David, along with his wife Wei Chun Su Johnson, described how a cutting-edge composting system they've developed can jumpstart soil's biological activity and, indeed, help it generate its own fertility. Their method is called biologically enhanced agricultural management, or BEAM, and centers around the fungal dominant biome created using the Johnson Soup Bioreactor. Invented by the Johnsons, the Bioreactor system represents a radical departure from the traditional way of taking organic material and breaking it down into a source of fertility via composting. Rather, the inoculant created by the Bioreactor system activates the soil's innate biological functions, akin to a baker introducing yeast to bread dough. This gives rise to a chain reaction of ecological activity that eventually results in more nutrients for growing plants. Traditional composting relies on frequent turning of the waste material to keep oxygen flowing and thus prevent the material from becoming anaerobic. This greatly reduces the timetable for producing a finished product, which can be an excellent source of fertility for soil. The disadvantage to such a system is that it demands lots of labor during the breakdown process, and, if done on farm scale, can be infrastructure intensive. Requiring turning equipment and lots of room for windrows. One big advantage of the Johnson Sue system is that it's scalable. A bioreactor stack can be set up for less than fifty dollars using locally available materials like wire mesh and landscape fabric. According to research by the Johnsons, the bioreactor system shows great promise for triggering healthy soil functions in a variety of farming situations, producing greater crop yields and more carbon sequestration, for example. However, Most of that success has occurred in climates similar to that found in New Mexico, where the couple lives and works. Since the summer of 2021, the Land Stewardship Project has been working with the Pangraks and four other farmers to study if the Johnson Sioux system will work in the Upper Midwest. Through this project, 
Farmers are experimenting with ingredients that can be found on local farms, such as livestock manure, forage material, forest soil, and wood chips. David Johnson made it clear during the field day that the bioreactor system is not creating a direct source of fertility. Rather, it's setting the stage for the soil's microbes to build its own fertility naturally. The Pangrax are using it as part of an integrated system of building soil health that includes managed rotational grazing of their dairy cows. Other farmers who attended the event described utilizing it in conjunction with cover cropping and no-till systems. After the field day, I talked to David and Wei Chun Su about how the bioreactor system is different from traditional composting and why it offers a way to reach the ultimate pinnacle in regenerative farming, creating a self-sufficient soil biome. David started out describing how microbes truly do make the world go round. We just had a great field day here on the Dale and Carmen Pangrack Farm looking at the Johnson Sioux bioreactor system and talking about composting in general and the importance of soil biology and microbes and all of that. But one of the things that really struck me in when you first let off uh, this discussion was you made the point that microbes kind of drive, make the world go around a little bit. I think that's a super good point to keep in mind whenever we're looking at something like this. Something I think a lot, of, I saw a lot of heads nodding going, oh, okay. And I agree with you on that. That's why I bring that up. I want people to be able to internalize this and be able to see, well, this is how my life works. I am totally dependent on these microbes for everything about my health. And it's the same thing in our soils. So, yeah, that's why I lead off with that. It, it became real to me. And then I try to express that to everybody else to give a, a foundation of biology. What's biology about? It's about everything. It's why this planet is here today. And it's true because we're living on this living planet, Earth. And so anything grows, typically there are living and their biology. And we are all part of this living system. And I, I like people to think about that, that you are part of this living system. Your, your agriculture practice is part of the living system. So we shouldn't think about everything is in the compartment. One of the things I think is really interesting, I think this was effective that you brought this up, was David, you kind of told a little bit of a story of you, kind of how you came to this realization that a different approach to composting was needed. You were doing it, you were doing research on some, the old way of doing it, and uh, I think as you said, uh, your, your wife was getting tired of you coming home dirty. Uh, that was one of the things, but there was some bigger issues there as well. Because a lot of people composting, they're like, there's one way to do it. You know, they're used to the big commercial systems or in their backyard or where you're, you're turning it all the time. A lot of vegetable farms around here are doing that kind of system as well. But that was, I think, a really important, kind of way to kind of have an aha moment a little bit. Yeah, dirty laundry is the genesis of this research. <laughs> Had it not been for that, we would not have this. You know, when I started out, I started out the man's way. <laughs> I did the windrow composting. I knew better. Well, after coming home so many times from turning those compost piles by hand with manure all over me, the wife said, we're going to do things different. <laughs> I think it was after the fact that I saw how much difference it made in the compost. Well, what we're doing is we're allowing this to progress the way nature intended. We're not going in and turning it every other day, destroying the household of the fungal community that it's trying to build. And that fungal community's intimate in getting this process to go forward. Without them, 
this doesn't happen. I think the other thing, good point that was made was that we have the biology in our current soils through conventional ag and that time have been kind of decimated, haven't they? Yeah, we see in the human microbiome the different influence of the, the chemicals that we're seeing in our food, the lack of quality in our food. We see how it's affecting our microbiome and our health. It didn't take much to translate that further into the soil. Well, what are we doing in agriculture? We're pumping in chemicals, we're tilling, we're pumping in uh, herbicides, insecticides. We must be destroying the biological functionality of these soils like we're doing in the human microbiome. And it does seem to be that's what's going on, and that seems to be also in both organisms, us and the soil. The way to fix it is to bring that microbiome back, bring the structure, the function, the diversity, and the functionality back. By practicing uh, the type of practice that without disturbing chemically, biologically, and uh, physically, that allowing the system to thrive again and reach the balance. And it's super beneficial in our system you know, as a body or in the agroecosystem. From what I gathered from this, and this is from the other stuff that I've read and, and watched on this system is, and I think this is an important point to make to people who, again, when they're thinking about composting, they're thinking maybe this is just one, way to, one more way to add fertility to soil. But that's not what this is about, is it? It's really something you're trying to activate the soil's innate ability a little bit. You're trying to change the whole system back to the way it was, where the fertility comes from within, not in addition to. And I think that's hard for some farmers to conceptualize because so many years it's always been apply this, apply that to fix this problem. Whereas once you start to build or regenerate that system, it can start producing the elemental nutrients you need, harvesting them from the soil parent material, or fixing nitrogen from the atmosphere, the way nature does it. I mean, the old growth forest, nobody goes out and fertilizes them, and yet they're the most productive ecosystem on the planet. We need to f learn to follow nature a little better, to observe, and that will start to give us the clues of how we can do this in agriculture. And this is kind of paying attention to kind of the, the connections of systems, or the, the kind of, the, can you talk a little bit about that, how important that is? Yeah, you know, I think most time people try to look at things in the compartment and uh, instead of a, take a step back and seeing that we live in this living system. And then when we are doing our farming, that we also need to look at our farm's ecosystem and, and how do we manage it that we will improve the functionality of this system without disturbing it so much and then bring the life back in to reach the balance and then to reach the point that it is it can be regenerative on its own. And at that point, it's sustainable because if you cannot be sustainable unless it can be regenerative. Yeah, I mean, this is, and again, it's this whole idea of the, the farm, and this is, I think, a message you really tried to get across, is the farm as an ecosystem, which seems maybe to some people, all, yeah, that makes sense, but that's not the way agriculture has approached it uh, in the past. Well, does it really strike home what an ecosystem is on a farm? That's, that's the question. As humans, we tend to look at simple solutions, easy solutions. You know, take a pill for this, add a fertilizer for that, when we're looking at this, the amount of compost applied, two pounds per acre, there's no significant nutrient in that at all. There's only biology. 
and yet we can see up to 700 pounds of nitrogen fixed in these systems in a season. So there's a whole other thing going on here about our understanding that this is a complex system that we need to look at. Now, on the, the whole idea of an ecosystem is, I think you'd made the point that you just can't do one thing and expect one result. You pull that string and a whole lot of other things are going to come, going to follow that. Yeah, I think we kind of look at things linearly and when things are dynamic, there's so many things happening from different directions to affect how this system moves forward. It's probably beyond our comprehension eventually to understand everything. Mm -hmm. But if we bring back the biology, then a lot of these decisions are made for you. These organisms work together collectively and they can do things that as a community that they can't do as a single organism. I know one of the things Dale and Carmen are concerned about is their infestation of giant ragweed. They're an organic farm. They can't treat it chemically. There, there was a discussion about, well, that ragweed is a sign of some shortage in the soil or something going on a little bit. Well, that's a tough one. There's still a lot we don't know. There's more understanding. We need more understanding in the area of weeds because we've seen some interesting results with the biology, bringing the biology different. Yeah, that's just a tough question. And we, we have observed on our test plot that when David inoculated that test plot and, and grew, grew the um, cover crop and had improved it after a couple of years, we noticed that the tumbleweed rolled across and germinated, but it looked stunted. And the cover crop was able to grow on top of it, and then we just really did not see the, the tumbleweed come to a big a big plant and then we we come to think of that a lot of time when we see a, a empty plot somewhere that it has been you know scarified or you know disturbed and we see a, a lot of tumbleweeds grow in those areas in in Las Cruces area but then in about three four years time some other weeds come along you don't see the, the tumbleweeds anymore and then succession it seems like there's some kind of succession there hmm. of changing in the profile or chemistry or biology in the soil that change the hospitableness to the weeds. Hmm. So that's that's what we think is happening. It sounds like we just we just like you said we just don't know. There's some we haven't studied this as much as we've studied the effects of chemical systems on there. Yeah. So we just don't know. <laughs> the, the the resources to do this type of research is kind of lacking. You, talking about cover crops, that was another thing I think that was an important point made was the role that other soil health soil health techniques can play in this. This isn't just you don't just this isn't just a magic bullet by itself, an isolated uh, tool that you use, but things like the role that cover crops can play. It sounds like that can be a really important thing, and there's a lot of interest, a lot of people doing cover crops around here. Yeah, I think in the cover crop arena. You need to get enough biomass grown that when you roll it down, you do get coverage. And it seems like about 500 grams of dry biomass per square meter seems to be that threshold from what I've seen. That if you do roll it down, plant into it, that it will suppress the weeds and keep you from having to add herbicides. That's what our turkey farmers found out. That once they got sufficient cover crop biomass rolled onto that soil surface and just no-till drilled right into it, they didn't use any herbicides for the years before in their conventional approach, they had 23 passes across the field for herbicides, insecticides, fertilizers. All of that changed. Yeah. 
just bringing the biology back. They had to do none of the other. Can you give me, you had given a little bit of a summary uh, of the different examples of this working on different farms from all over the world. Can you, you don't need to go through all those examples, but can give us just a brief, some of the highlights of some of the benefits people, we saw a video of a farmer, a rancher in Montana. We, you also cited some stuff from Turkey. I mean, a real diverse geographical, different climate, different soils. But can you just give us a rundown of some of the different results we've seen where you've used this system to kind of inoculate that soil? We see Corey in Montana. Uh, he had just tried this on a kind of a lark. He had made the bioreactor, and then he came in and he planted a 40-acre field in his, um, in his rye, and he only did one pass with the planter using the uh, biological inoculant from the compost. The uninoculated soil produced a, a crop that was 8 to 12 inches tall, and the other inoculated was 4 feet tall. It, he became a believer pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> See, Stevens Garica, also in Montana, he was doing fava beans, and he noticed he got two more bushels an acre without fertilizer. Uh, we see, again, turkey with the cotton crop in, increasing or matching 100% nitrogen uh, application, really outperforming 100% nitrogen application on their cotton crop in a conventional approach. But I just want to say that all this practice, they all have to incorporate cover crops and multi-species cover crops. It's very important that you have that dis diversity. Mm -hmm. It's very important that you have that living roots in the ground all the time so we don't short circuit the systems the cycling of all this different nutrients and fixing the nitrogens and, and you know building the soil aggregates and you know just doing all this functionality for your ecosystem it's very important because there's just all kinds of things happening above both above ground and underground but if you short circuit somewhere that you stop the circle of life. And because uh, we, we heard from our counterpart in Turkey talking about how happy they are started this journey in 2019. They made the compost bioreactor, they inoculated the seeds, they, they planted the cover crop. They also had uh, experienced the over amount of rainfall the first year and the delay planting of a cover crop. So, you know, just like the farmers over here, they have challenges. Then after that, they have the severe drought. So instead of a three allotment of uh, irrigation, they only get two for the subsequent two years. And yet they're able to reduce their nitrogen input by 85% and surpass the the production of a 100% recommendation of nitrogen application plots. So, you know, they're extremely happy. They're so happy they actually applied the um, compost bioreactor compost um, on a, a vacant lot that they have that, that typically just for parking and uh, because they were curious. And they use that to grow vegetables. And they use that to um, they grow some fruit trees as well. And uh, they're so happy during the pandemic with the shortage of food and the, their currency crisis in Turkey. They were able to actually provide food for their own community. Mm. And that's a part that really hits me really hard because I feel that 
my gosh, this is what we need, don't we? We need to have a regenerative system that is sustainable, able to sustain the people in their own community. And how far this will go if people can afford to grow food for themselves, to feed themselves. They, they, we won't have this human crisis of need to migrate away from where they grow up, where the culture is. So it's just, I think it's a win-win situation that for people able to start working on their own ecosystem and improve from the point on and to improve themselves and the rest will follow. I guess it brings up a question I always have, is the ultimate goal of, the, of a system like this to not have to use any external inputs uh, to, to build to, that soil is self-sustaining. It, it is really, is, is that the goal? And are you starting to think maybe that is possible? I kind of see that as the ultimate goal. So we can't afford this nitrogen in two ways. Number one, it's getting too expensive. The input cost pulls the profitability of these farmers down to practically nothing. We can't afford what nitrogen's doing to our environment. From 60 to 80% of the nitrogen you apply on that field either goes into the atmosphere or goes into the water table. And there's so many issues there as far as human health. And then we see also going into the ocean, creating dead zones, also with the phosphorus that we're putting down. So ultimately, yes, I see getting away from all inputs and, and starting to learn how nature is doing this and adopt those principles, adopt those practices that nature's really been showing us for how many eons we just haven't been paying attention. Were you, when uh, I think Shona had asked here on the soil health team, had asked how many people were composting, and the majority, I was even surprised, the majority of people put up their hands. And then when she asked, well, how many were interested in trying out the Johnson Sioux bioreactor system, a fair number went up. In some ways, I'm not as surprised as I thought I'd be when I think about it because of the price of nitrogen right now and the price of inputs. But are you seeing more interest, I guess, because as, as, as input prices go and, and the, like you said, the environmental results of, of the nit- nitrogen-based system and climate change is another issue that comes up, people trying to, to uh, make their farms more resilient. Are you seeing more interest in the, in the system like this? Oh, totally see more interest. And I think it's all going to come down to that bottom line. The adoption is going to have to be profitable for the farmers. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to understand that they can make more money doing this. It'll be a no-brainer then. They won't have to be concerned so much about getting those chemicals in and being dependent on the chemical companies. Will it be delivered? I mean, delivery was actually a, a problem in some areas this year. And price, it could put a lot of farmers out of business. And yet this, they can not only make more money, but they can start rebuilding their land for the future for their progeny, so they're not passing on a problem to their children, but a blessing, actually. Yeah, I'm thinking about like fun, fungi, bacteria, protozoa, and all the different microbial community members that how they work in the system to recycle things and then to make the system better. And as human, we all have a different skills and expertise as well. You know, we all do different things that most definitely, I, I am not a farmer. I cannot do what the farmers do, and I appreciate what they do. But we're hoping that as researchers, whatever we've found and that piece of information and knowledge can be a good tool for the farmers to utilize and to take it home and then put it to practice. 
and then people like Shauna and the team over here at the Land Stewardship Project. You know how they connect people and put everybody together like they're doing the fungal work. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it that synergizes this whole system here, and then we can push this movement forward in regenerative ag. What would you, what advice would you give someone who is interested in this? And the one thing that's, that I think one of the reasons there's so much interest in this, and one of the things that why LSP is so interested in this is we have farmers of all different sizes. We also have people who raise vegetables on a small scale, but we have farmers who are raising several hundred acres or a couple thousand acres of crops. Maybe they're doing uh, large-scale grazing or small-scale grazing, but what I like about this system is it seems scalable for all types of systems. But what advice would you give somebody who had any interest in this, no matter what they're raising or what what size they, they might be? Just get out and do it. Get your hands dirty. Start observing. It's not going to happen unless you build one of these bioreactors, just like uh, Corey. He just out went out and built one and tried it. And then he found out it was so beneficial for his farm. I think Jay found out the same way. We had a conference in uh, western, or eastern Colorado. He went to that. He went home, built one, and he was totally pleased with the results. So... It's not going to happen unless you build one of these yeah. and, and get out there and try and, and start learning. Uh, start learning about the soil. Start learning about soil biology. Uh, it's, it's critical for your future if you're growing plants. I'm going to go back to the community thing. When you're learning, you need that community, don't you? Yes, most definitely. And we, we always said that when we learn something, share with everybody. And, and because we have this diverse background, of people that with a different experience, expertise, and skills. And if we share our knowledge, that somebody might be able to take that further. And when they share back with us, then that further uh, enlighten us as well. And we move forward much faster as a community. And so, you know, I always said that reason why David put everything on open source is for that very reason. So we all can learn together and share and uh, as a community. So you know, if they would just pay attention and then if there's any anomaly, make sure to pay extra attention because sometimes, or a lot of times, anomalies is trying to tell you something that you need to pay attention to. And, and that is important for your farm, for your system. And uh, we hope that, that they, they can take this back, learn it, share it, and, uh, you know, and then come back and teach us something what they learn as well. Yeah. What is the one, you, how long have you been researching this? Since 2004. Okay, so we're going on uh, it's, uh, 18 years, almost two decades now. What's uh, some big questions that you want answered that you're still trying to, or have you, do you think this is kind of the way it's, the system's kind of set, or is there some big questions out there that you still want to get, get answered as you look into this? I think the compost maturity, you know, is, will it have efficacy or not, is the biggest question. Not everybody succeeds at this. Not everybody does the compost biactor right. And we need to learn, okay, what creates a failure? What creates success? When is a compost 
good and when is it not? And we're making some headway in that. You know, we've got uh, samples from all over the world right now that we're looking at, looking at metagenome analysis and metatranscriptome. And we're seeing that looks like there's a common endpoint in the maturity of this compost in the ones that are really working well. Uh, and that's all across the world that I can see an identical compost in Australia to ones here in the U.S. That kind of really surprised me. I thought, you know, different location, different starting materials, different climate, that there would be a different endpoint. But there seems to be a common endpoint. We need those different eyes. I think Gabe Brown's probably done the best job on this, is getting a group of people together and working with them, working together and daring everybody to try something different, yeah. something crazy. And you have that benefit of multiple things happening at one time that many people get to see what the results are. You can't do this as a single person. Your life doesn't last long enough. You have, what, 40 tries, maybe 45 tries at this? It's an elegant system, it's complex, but it is revealing the secrets of how it works if we just pay attention. And this is kind of, I think, unique to for us to be doing this research we're doing right now this far north. Uh, this kind of are you excited to see maybe what because this could be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it works in this kind of climate and this kind of situation up up here in the Upper Midwest. Uh, totally, and there's still lots of questions. Does it work in every area? Yeah. So far, it looks like it. It's, it may be different actions going on in the soil, but there seems to be. Increases in that productivity, uh, restoration of that soil, regeneration of soil carbon. Uh, again, addressing issues that, you know, we say they're unsolvable. This is child's play to reduce atmospheric CO2. We need to probably th rethink that because that's the second most important molecule on this planet. Without CO2, we would not have an energy cycle. Without the energy cycle, we can't survive on this planet. If we start to bring that carbon back into the system and have it cycling, having that energy flow, uh, that's the key to rebuilding the system. When these systems are working properly, when you're having that optimum photosynthetic capacity, when you're reducing that respiration, when you're increasing soil carbon, again, we like to look at things singly. Soil carbon, it's all about soil carbon. Right, right, right. When we start considering all the components together, this is a no-brainer. And it's, the waste product is food. I mean, does it get any better than this? Healthy food. Healthy food. For more on the Johnson Sioux Bioreactor Composting System, check out the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 292 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll find links to videos, web pages, and podcasts related to this system. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.